We're going to um, have a look now at uh, part of the Bible, um, part of John's Gospel, uh, which if you're here normally, um, you'll know that's what we have been doing. We've just worked our way through John's Gospel and learned together from from John. And we we come today to John chapter 12, and the words will be on the screen. I'm going to read um, some of this for us. Um, And I want to make quite a big claim, and then I want to try and show you that it's true, and then you can decide whether you think I've (laughs) successfully defended my claim. Here's the claim. I think what Jesus teaches in these these verses, the words of Jesus, I think are breathtaking. I think they are transforming. And I think if we took them seriously, they would turn our whole lives upside down. They're that serious. And that wonderful. So let me read um, from verse 20 of John chapter 12 through to verse 33. It'll be on the screen. Here we go. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Well, let's just um, work through and have a, a look at what it says. And the first thing I want us to see is a great request, a great request that is made. We meet these Greeks. There are some Greeks, verse 20 tells us, who had come up to worship at the festival. Now, it's important that you know, you know, it might be you think Greeks, well, that sounds nice, you know. Um, but actually, they're outsiders, that they're not the in crowd. They're not the ones that you would expect to come and worship because this festival that they're coming to worship at was a Jewish festival and the Greeks were non-Jews. But they'd come to worship. They'd come to join in. But what they would discover when they got to Jerusalem was that these Greeks, these outsiders, they could come to worship but they could only come so far and then they'd meet a barrier. Right, so they could come into Jerusalem, that was okay. They could come to the temple, that was the focal point of worship, that was okay. They could go into the first court of the temple, that was okay, that was the court of the Gentiles, but then they could go no further. 
You had to be Jewish to go further than that. They couldn't fully enter into the life of worship because of their background. It's all foreign to them. They had a different language. They had a different history. You're not really part of our story, so you don't get to worship with us. You're not part of the in crowd. And yet, there's something that draws these Greeks to worship. There's something in them that longs to come. Something about God that compels them. You know, I think there are still plenty of people in our world today who are like that when it comes to worshiping God. They haven't been brought up religious. Lots of the stories that we've heard are from people who have been brought up in religious homes. But many people in this world who aren't religious, they've had no contact with God or church at all. And they certainly don't quite fit into the churchy type. They don't know the right language. They don't know the stories. They don't feel comfortable in a church. It just feels a bit awkward. They feel a bit, oh, this is weird. It feels alien and foreign. And yet, there is still something about God that draws them. Despite all the weirdness of it, there's still something that draws them. And they come to church and they look around at church and everybody else seems to know what they're doing. They all seem to know the language. They all seem to kind of be comfortable, but they feel awkward. Everyone else seems to belong. They feel outside. And yet still they come to worship. You might even be sitting here today. That might describe you. You might be sitting here feeling profoundly like you're on the outside. Well, here's the amazing encouragement of John chapter 12. It's these outsiders who show us the right way to go. In fact, the religious insiders have rejected Jesus. The religious insiders have already decided to kill him. That's their plan. But the outsiders get it right. So they come with this great request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. So simple. So humble. We'd we'd like to see Jesus. And yet so profound. They're not demanding anything from Jesus. Do you notice that? They've not come demanding that he prove himself. Do a miracle then, Jesus. Show us that you're so great. They've not come saying, Jesus, I need you to do this for me. Do this for me. Do this for me. They've come with this simple request. We just want to see Jesus. And do you notice that they don't go to Jesus with their request? They go to Philip. Why Philip? Well, probably he's the most likely Greek-speaking among the disciples. He comes from Bethsaida. It's a Greek-speaking town. It's probably, they reckon, if anyone's going to listen to, maybe Philip. And so they come to Philip, and they say, we'd like to see Jesus. And Philip doesn't go straight to Jesus. He goes to Andrew, and then they go to Jesus. You see, it's like these, the, these Greeks, they're on the outside, but they, they want to see Jesus. You know that moment when you kind of want to get a message to someone, but you feel nervous about it, so you go to their friend, and you say, can you tell your friend I fancy them? That sort of thing. You know, it's that kind of, it's that kind of vibe, right? Could, I, I can't go. I, I, I can't go near. I, I'm too unworthy. I'm an outsider, but... Is there any chance we would like to see Jesus? 
And I want to say to you that that one request brings about a weighty, world-changing response from Jesus. They come with their simple request. And Jesus doesn't just say, yeah, fine, bring them in, let them see me, here I am. Instead, Jesus lets them see something so deep and profound that it will change the world. So let this great request encourage you today. They're just some Greeks. And if you feel like you're just a Greek, just an outsider, just someone who doesn't really feel like you belong, Jesus says, oh, yes, you do. In fact, earlier on in John's Gospel, back in John chapter 6, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. There is not one person sitting in this building right now who if you come to Jesus, he will drive you away. Not one. You may say, yeah, but you don't know what I've done. Jesus says, whoever. It doesn't matter how far away you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've run. It doesn't matter how bad you think you are. It doesn't matter how distant you think you are. You come. We would like to see Jesus. Because Jesus has come to be the Savior of the world. He has come to include all humanity. We find so many ways. In fact, we're continually developing new ways to exclude people. We exclude people on the basis of class, on the basis of religion, on the basis of race, on the basis of gender, on whatever it is. We find ways to push people away and say, no, not you, not you, not you. Jesus says, yes, you, yes, you, yes, you. And the reason that we keep putting up barriers and we keep excluding people is because to be part of the in crowd feels so good, doesn't it? We love to be in the in crowd. Look, when I was 14 and David Murphy said I could be in his gang, it's still one of the greatest days of my life. (laughs) David Murphy wants me in his gang. I joined his gang. It lasted about a day because I didn't really like it him or any of his friends, so it didn't really go very well. Um, But there's this, the the feeling, and when I was part of that gang, I never really felt like I I belonged. There's this weird example of imposter syndrome. I kept thinking that they were going to discover that I was this nerdy, geeky kid, and who's let him in, right? And we have this imposter syndrome because the in-crowd, we all want to be in the in-crowd, but when you get in the in-crowd, you feel like you don't belong, and you're nervous that someone might discover that you're not who you Say you are. And here's this request these Greeks make, and it kind of blows all of that out of the water, and Jesus smashes all the barriers down. He says, come, whoever you are, come. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, 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 anyone and everyone, come. The Greeks come, we would like to see Jesus. It's a great request. Do you have any desire to see Jesus? To see who he truly is? To see what all this is about? Do you find anything in your heart yearning for that? Maybe you've never really experienced that before. Well, perhaps even this afternoon. Come, look. Or perhaps if you've listened to those stories, you found yourself thinking, oh man, I'm not sure I've ever really thought of Jesus. Oh, I remember the days when I used to feel like that about Jesus, but it's drifted. My heart's grown cold this afternoon. Come back to him. Jesus, I'd like to see you. We would like to see you.
So it's a great request. And what it does is it leads on to Jesus talking about a profound pattern. And this is where Jesus now, rather than just say, here I am, he, he, he teaches, he shows them, he, he speaks in this incredible way. And you can feel the weight of it, right? In verse 23, Jesus replied to this request, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. By Son of Man, Jesus is talking about himself. It's a way of referring to himself. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. The Greeks have arrived. Their request has brought into motion the moment that we've all been waiting for. You know when you go to um, a gig and there's some, um, well, back when we used to go to gigs, um, there's some warm-up acts and, you know, they're all right and they kind of, you know, fiddle around and do a bit of music, but no one's really interested in them. And then eventually someone comes on and says, right, ladies and gentlemen, this is the moment we've been waiting for. And then the big artists, the big acts appear on stage, everyone goes wild and shouts and screams. Well, that's what this moment is in John's gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the moment you've been waiting for. The hour has come. Now, there's already been some warm-up act. There's already been seven very spectacular signs that have been building up to this point. Jesus has done these amazing miracles, turning water into wine and healing a sick man and um, making a paralyzed man walk and feeding a hungry crowd and walking on water and opening the eyes of a blind man and raising the dead. Like this massive hype is building. Here they come. It's like the warm-up acts, but none of that has been the moment of glory. No, not that, not that, not that. Ladies and gentlemen, it's now. This is the moment you've been waiting for. The hour has come. It's that big. And if those previous seven signs are anything to go by, we're expecting something pretty spectacular. I mean, where do you go from raising someone from the dead? What do you do next? You see, the key, if you're choosing a warm-up act, here's just a hint, if you're ever on a world tour with your band, don't choose a warm-up act that's better than you. Whatever you do. Because the whole point of the warm-up act is that it's building up to you. So what on earth can it be that Jesus is going to do which is greater than the seven things he's already done? And that's what makes verse 24 seem such a letdown. But if we will see it, you will see something more profound than any of those previous seven. Here it is, verse 24. This is it. You ready? This is the moment of glory. This is it. What it's all been building for. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed, but if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is it. This is the moment of glory, Jesus says. The seed is going to die and be buried in the ground. That's weird, right? He takes his inspiration for for this um, saying from the tiny seed, a grain of wheat. And it really isn't that hard to understand what Jesus is saying in kind of agricultural terms, right? When you take a seed, it has extraordinary potential for multiplication. That tiny seed has great power, dramatic and extraordinary multiplication. 
all sits inside that seed. That one seed has locked up within it the potential for a massive future harvest, all in that one little seed. But the only means by which that future harvest is unlocked and unleashed, the only way that can happen is for that seed to die, for that seed to be buried in the ground. There's no other way for the potential harvest to be unleashed other than that. You can get that, right? Look, let me try and ram this home just in case we're not um, following this. I don't think it's that difficult, but let me ram it home. Imagine an acorn, right? We've all seen an acorn. Here's that acorn. Let's call him Arnold, right? Arnold the acorn. Arnold, when he's a little acorn, and says to his mum one day, he sees an, an oak tree, and he goes, oh, mum, look at that oak tree. It's amazing. It's just so beautiful. Look at this massive oak tree. And loads of acorns all over it. And just look at me. I'm just a little acorn. And, and Arnold's mum says to him, listen, Arnold. Within you, there's an oak tree. Within you, Arnold, there's an oak tree. And he's slightly baffled, but he's like, that makes me feel good. It sends a little shiver down his shell. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and he begins to think, wow, that's amazing. And then Arnold's mum says to him, listen, Arnold, all you have to do, this is it, all you have to do is be buried in a hole and die. That's it. And from that hole, life will spring. Ah, the trouble is though, Arnold doesn't fancy the darkness and dampness of a hole in the ground. You see, it doesn't fit with his life goals. Arnold's got bigger ambitions than that. He's having too much fun with his acorn buddies, so they party. They have competitions for who's the best-looking acorn. They watch movies about how to have your best life now. They have amazing times, happy times, acorn happiness. <laughs> and none of those plans involves being buried in a hole. That's not fun. But as the months go by, Arnold begins to shrivel and wrinkle. Things don't seem quite as much fun anymore. Life is fading and will soon be gone. The brief pleasure and glory have grown dim. And soon the lights will go out. And here's the key. The potential oak tree that was in that acorn is gone forever. There was an oak tree in that acorn. And it's gone forever. What's all got this got to do with us? Okay, hang in there, right? Listen to what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is saying, that is my story, Jesus is saying. He knows that the road that he is going to walk is not the road of temporary pleasure and happiness, not the achievement of my life goals. No, the road that he must walk is the road of death. He is the seed. He is the acorn who must die. And that is his moment of glory. His death, that is the greatest work. That is the greatest moment. That is the glory moment when he dies and when he's buried in the ground. Come on, let's push this. Let's think, right? Let's, come on. Within Jesus, right, there is the 
potential for massive multiplication. Look, if we had Jesus here now, right, if we could airlift him out of John 12 and have him here right now, he would just look like a man like me. We'd be about the same, he'd just be another man standing there. And yet within Jesus is locked up this incredible potential. It's like an acorn. I mean, after all, John has told us that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He's the one who became a human being. He's God who became a human being and lived among us. I mean, that's some acorn, right? Within Jesus, there is this bursting potential of massive multiplication. But here's the deal. If Jesus chooses to live for himself, if Jesus chooses to live for his own comfort and his own pleasure, all of that potential is lost forever. But if he chooses to die, the impact on this world will be phenomenal. One seed dies and produces many seeds. His one death will mean life for many, many, many others. That's how it works. You see, look, there's a huge problem with humanity. We've got to face up to this. And I want to say something which may may sound a little bit um, dangerous at first, but hang in there. There's a huge problem with humanity. We have enormous potential locked up within us. You are like an acorn. We're seeds. And in many ways, our world gets this right, right? Our world is constantly telling you, you've got to look within yourself. There's a hero within yourself. You've got great potential within you. And the Bible, when you read it, would say, yes. (laughs) Yes. You are remarkable. You were created by this stunning God. He made you in his image. He's given you gifts and abilities and creativity and beauty. There is remarkable potential within you. But the problem is that ever since the very beginning, human beings have chosen to walk a path that is turned in on ourselves. This potential that we have locked up within us, we use for our own happiness, our own glory, our own comfort. And so we live for what, 70, 80 years perhaps? And we have some good times and we have some good holidays and we do some good things and we're successful. But the older we get, the more wrinkly we get. We wrinkle and we wrinkle and we slow down and the lights become faded. And then we die. And all of the potential that was in us is lost because humanity has chosen, I don't want to die and give that up in sacrifice. I want to live for me. And yet the tragedy is that when we live for me, it's all lost. Can you see that? It's what I mean about this being so profound. It's what you see around you everywhere in our city. It's what you see everywhere in my heart. And Jesus shows us something so different. He shows us what it looks like to live a life on a completely different pattern. Humanity needs saving from this obsessive pursuit of selfish gain. That's what we need saving from. We need saving from this wasting of the potential that God has placed within us. 
We're throwing it away and we need saving. And so God became one of us. He became a human being and to live a completely different life. And so Jesus, the Son of God, willingly went to his death. He said, I'm the acorn who is willing to die in order to produce the oak tree. And that death, that death of Jesus is the most monumental moment of glory in the whole of human history. Look, in his death, he does what we should have done, laid down our lives. In his death, he does what we have failed to do. In his death, he does what we needed to do. In his death, he pays what we should have paid. And by that death, life bursts forth and brings life to millions who come after him. This is what's so genius about Jesus. And I get that there's so many questions and you have loads of questions. But it's what makes Jesus so extraordinary. Jesus is able to unlock the potential of millions of others. As he gives up his potential, as he gives up his life to death on a cross, he unlocks the li- and unleashes life for millions of others. And that's what we need when I realize that I've lived wrongly, when I realize that I've offended God, when I realize that I deserve death, Jesus steps into my place. He pays my price. He forgives my self-obsessed life. And he creates me as I was created to live. And that's why Jesus says um, in verse 25, and by the way, we're going to stop here because we haven't got time to do the rest of this. Verse 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it. There it is. You hear it? That's what we've been saying. Anyone who chooses Arnold the Acorn's philosophy of life will lose it. It will be lost. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That doesn't mean we go around going, I hate myself. It's not that kind of hatred. It's I don't count this life as something which is valuable to me. I, I, I can see that this life, I'm just a seed. You see, the problem that Arnold has was that his view was too limited. He was too easily satisfied. He did not see that oak tree was the future. And God has designed you for eternal life. He's made you to love him. He's made you for himself. He's made you for relationship with him. He's made you for himself. He's made you that you might find your joy and your satisfaction in him. That's what he made you for. And yet we settle for this little life. We say, oh great, I've got 70 years to have a happy time. Oh, that's nice. And God says, 70 years? What are you, why are you settling for 70 years? What are you doing? <laughs> There's eternity over here. And that's what, that's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means to say, I want to follow this pattern. I want to live my life now following the way Jesus has walked. He came to save me. He came to set me free from a self-obsessed life. He came to set me free so that I might now die to myself and live for others. So every day I might die. Every day I might choose to lay down my life to, to not just be obsessed with myself, but to love, to love, to love. 
and one day, one day to be raised to life forever. So this is what Jesus is teaching us, and that's what we're about to see in baptism, right? Isn't it interesting, in baptism, it looks a lot like a seed being planted in the ground and then springing to life. Because that's what baptism represents. Baptism is about someone saying, I don't want to live for myself anymore. I want to be a seed who's planted in the ground like Jesus was. I want to be someone who gives up my rights, who gives up my obsession with myself. I want to be someone who gives up on that. And I want to be raised to the life, the potential that I was truly created for, the oak tree that I was made for, so that others, so that there may be more fruit from my life, so that others might know, so that I might be a blessing to others. That's how it works. We need to, we need to stop. Um, we'll pick up the rest of this next week. I apologize for only doing half of what I was going to do, but you're probably relieved um, about that. But you see, it is, it is beautiful. Whoever you are, however you've come to church this afternoon, Jesus says you have more potential than you ever, ever dreamed that you had. Even your wildest ambitions, they're too small compared to what God made you for. The Christian message is not, you're rubbish, you're rubbish, you're rubbish. The Christian message is, you are more, more precious than you ever, ever dreamed. Tragedy is we've turned in on ourselves. Jesus came to save us by dying for us and rising again so that we might now live that life with him. Why don't we pray then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us. Lord, we pray that we would... See this incredible teaching, this incredible pattern that Jesus sets us, that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became a man like us and was buried in the ground and rose again to give life to others. Lord, we're so sorry when we just settle for this temporary life. We settle for a temporary happiness, a temporary success. Lord, please, might we discover the potential, the reality, the beauty of what you've made us for. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.